Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John chapter 1. The writer of this Gospel was one of the youngest of Jesus' 12 disciples. And as you know, Jesus had the 12 disciples, and then he had an inner three, Peter, James, and John. John was one of the inner three. So John saw some things the other disciples uh, didn't see, and he recorded some of those things in his book. It was also John who stood at the foot of the cross when Jesus was hanging there, and Jesus looked down and asked John to take care of his mother Mary, and it says after the crucifixion, John took Mary into his home to take care of Jesus' mother. So there's a special relationship here with John and our Lord. Every gospel writer writes a book for a specific purpose. And John tells us very clearly why he writes his book. John chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not recorded in this book. John says, there are so many things that that Jesus did that I didn't get recorded in this book, but here's why I chose the things I chose. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the One you've been waiting for, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. I could have chosen, John said, all kinds of stories. I, I could have other stories in here, but I've chosen these specifically because these are the ones that drive home this purpose. These are the ones that tell you that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the one you have been waiting on. And if you believe in his name, you can have not only eternal life, but you can have life here, abundant life, as you follow hard after him. So John, before he gets into that, though, he opens his book with... 18 verses to make sure we know who Jesus is. He he wants to make certain we don't mistake Jesus for a miracle worker or a quotable teacher or a great leader. He wants to make sure we grasp the person of Jesus. And so he opens his book with these first 18 verses that focus on the person of Christ. He writes basically a theological essay about Jesus. These verses contain the most complete description of the person of Christ found in all of Scripture. One old commentator says, these verses are so rich and so deep and so thorough, they are worthy to be written in letters of gold. Throughout the Christmas season, John 1, 1 through 18 is going to be our our focus. And we're just going to slow down and work our way through these passages. We're going to take time to consider the truths in in what theologians simply call John's uh, prologue. And I want to encourage you in your personal time with the Lord to read and meditate on these words in this opening section of John. I want to encourage you to read them as a family. Memorize them individually and as a family. Make them 
a part of your Advent celebration. Man, Christmas can be such a hectic time. And Christians who love and follow Jesus Christ, we can get caught up in all the stuff of Christmas and miss the significance. In fact, we can miss the significance of of Christmas as much as the non-believing neighbor next door. But this passage helps us keep our focus and helps us keep our purpose of loving Jesus intimately and following Jesus passionately and serving Jesus wholeheartedly. So what I want to do is to, to read this passage, John 1 through uh, John 1, 1 through 18 at all of our campuses, and we're going to read it responsibly. We're going to get Dave and Zeb and Tom to stand up there in their campuses and lead as we work through this. Now I got to tell you, Saturday night and nine o'clock did a very poor job at responsive reading. Just forewarned. So we're going to do better. The leader, I'm going to be the leader. Okay? So when it says leader, I'll be reading. Okay? You are all. So when it says all, you need to read. Okay? And you just jump right in there and read. Okay? So we're going to do this well. Here we go. Let's think through these words as we read them. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Children born not of natural descent, nor of a human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. John testifies concerning him. He cries out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. From the fullness of his grace we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Well done. Well done. All right. Well, yeah, good job. I'll find out tomorrow how Wilkinsburg and Robinson and Washington did. In the beginning 
was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Three times in verse 1, John calls Jesus the Word, Logos. He does that very strategically. To his Gentile readers, the Greek readers, they would know Logos as this, as this rational, in philosophy, the rational principle behind the universe. Now, in philosophy, I'm not even sure what that means, but you philosophers can know that. The rational principle behind the universe, the Logos was that. The Logos was the, was the reasoning and the expression of man. The Jewish readers would know Logos as a reference to God. It was the translation of the Hebrew Debar. And throughout the Old Testament, over and over and over again, we read the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. The word of the Lord established covenants. The word of the Lord communicated the law. The word of the Lord came through the prophets. The word of the Lord provided guidance. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. If I follow you, the word, I know where I'm going. But the word took even a more deeper significance. The word carried in the Old Testament an active power. In Genesis, God spoke the world into being. He spoke the world into existence. Eight times over in the creation story, we read, and God said. And when God spoke, stuff happened. Let there be light and what? There was light. As one commentator says, his very speaking initiated the power to create or to order reality. The psalmist says it this way, Psalm 33, 6, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. So John has this richness of the word logos already in his, already in his uh, Greek readers and already in his Jewish readers, and now he takes it and puts even more significance on it. He calls Jesus the word. The Logos. Logos, from the root word lego, which means the whole process of expression. To have a thought. Then to collect those thoughts. Then to put words side by side in order to frame the thought. And then to verbally speak the thought. The entire process of expression. Logos is not simply a word but Logos is the expression of a message. John is saying, Jesus is the Word. He is both the mind and the message of God. He is the one who expresses God to us. Look at verse 18. No one has ever seen God, right? But God, the one and only, referring to Jesus, who is at the Father's side, He's the one who made Him known. Later in uh, John chapter 14, Jesus is, is speaking. He's having a discussion with His disciples. And He tells them in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And then Philip said, time out, Lord. 
I don't know that we've seen the Father. But if you'll show us the Father, Lord, show us the Father, and that'll be enough for us. And Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip, even though I've been among you for such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Jesus is the Word. He's the expression of God. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. When you hear from Jesus, you're hearing from the Father. Paul calls him the image of the invisible God. The writer of Hebrews calls him the exact representation of God's being. So when, Jesus, when John calls Jesus the Word, he is saying that Jesus is the very expression. He's the very image. He's the exact representation of God. He is God incarnate. He is God in the flesh. Now, one more thing. Remember in the Old Testament, when the Hebrews saw the word, the Hebrew word debar, which is the word word, they saw it as an active power because when God spoke, things happened. Let there be light, there's light. Well, since Jesus is the expression of God, the word logos carries with it that same active power. In Genesis, the physical world is created. But when Jesus comes, the spiritual world is recreated. Our soul, the heart of man. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. Not just the creation, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. The word then is the expression of God and is powerfully active in the lives and hearts of people. Christmas is not about a baby being born. Christmas is about the word becoming flesh. And if we get that in our minds, that changes everything. John loves to call Jesus the word. In 1 John, his first epistle, he writes this in uh, 1 John 1.1, 1, 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, <clears throat> which we have looked at and our, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim to you concerning what? The word of life. Revelation 19. John is the writer, and he says, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider was called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. His name is what? The Word of the Lord. Now, I've never seen that description of Jesus on a Hallmark Christmas card, have you? Eyes blazing with fire. A robe dipped in blood, but that's who he is. Christmas is not about a little baby being born. Christmas is about God becoming flesh. Now, let's be honest. We like to keep it as a baby being born, don't we? Because you can cut a little baby. You can hold a little baby. You, you can control a little baby. We, we like Jesus as a little baby. Because we can take him wherever we want to go. And we can do with him whatever we want. But the minute we realize he is not a baby. He is God in the flesh. That changes everything. You don't control God. 
He controls us. And that's where a lot of people like to draw the line, right? Have a nice little warm, peaceful Christmas. But let's leave Jesus right there in that cuddly little manger in Bethlehem. But he refuses to stay there. John is just getting started in his description of the Word. Not only is Jesus the Word, but John, from the very beginning, he wants to make sure. He says, when you read the stories I've written in here, I don't want you to see a teacher. I don't want you to see a miracle worker. I don't want you to see a leader of the disciples. I want you to see God in the flesh. And there are three things in verse 1 that John tells us about Jesus. He is eternal. He is in relationship with God, and He is God Himself. Let's go through this. In the beginning was the Word. He is eternal. In in the beginning, of course, John's taking us back to Genesis chapter 1, and it's interesting, John gives some allusions to the creation story. He talks about life, he talks about light, and he talks about darkness. But John doesn't want us to just think about the creation. He is telling us who the Word is. And he's saying in the beginning was the Word. He is telling us that before anything was created, the Word was. Some grammar that's very important here uh, for us to look at. John doesn't waste a word as he takes us through uh, this prologue. In the beginning was the Word. Very important to think of this word was. John could have used a lot of verbs. He could have used uh, the Greek uh, genomai, which means to come into existence. He could have used uh, this uh, word that means to be born. But he chooses instead to use the Greek word amy, which means to be. It's the to be verb. It means something that has always been. It is, means something that's been in continuous existence. God always was. The Word always was. In the beginning was the Word. Remember in the Old Testament when God told Moses uh, to go uh, tell Pharaoh to let the people go? And Moses said, I don't want to go. And God said, yeah, you have to go. And uh, it's like us, right? We don't want to go, but you have to go. And Moses said, who I'm going to stand before Pharaoh, and I'm going to tell him to let the people go. Who should I say, just in case he asked God, who should I say sent me? Remember what God said? You tell him, I am sent you. I am that I am. That's the Hebrew to be verb, just like this is the Greek to be verb. I am. I am the existent one. I didn't come to be. I wasn't born. I didn't come into existence. I am eternal. Look at John chapter 8. As Jesus uh, addresses a group of people here in John uh, chapter 8, look at verse uh, 56. He's speaking to the religious leaders, uh, and he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. Abraham saw it and was glad, and they said, you are insane, Jesus. What are you talking about? You're not yet 50 years old, and you claim to have seen Abraham, 
And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, what? I am to be verb. And when he said, I am, the religious leaders went right back to Genesis because what was Jesus doing? He was saying, I am God. I am. And so look what they did in verse 59. They picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds. In the beginning was the word. Jesus is eternal. He did not come to be in that Bethlehem stable. We need to unlearn that. We need to get that out of our minds. He has always been. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now, this is very important with the grammar as well. The Word was with God is a Hebrew preposition, pros. And it means toward. We could, we could, we could translate it, uh, and the Word was toward God. Or we could paraphrase it, the Word was face to face with God. Now here we begin in John's gospel the mystery of the Trinity. Because here are two separate persons. We're talking about God. He was God. But we're also talking about the Word. And yet, they're the same. The mystery of the Trinity starts here. Now why would it have been important for John to let his readers know that the Word was there with God and that they are one and the same. The Word was with God. He was face-to-face with God. This word uh, designates um, uh, an intimacy and an equality. Why is that so important for John to let his readers know that? Well, remember, back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, beginning in verse 4, if you were a Jew, you would have memorized, this would be one of the first things you memorized. It's called the Shema from the first two, or the first word, O hear, Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is what? One. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, with all your strength. The Lord our God, the Lord is is one. And so a lot of early criticism about Christianity was what? It's polytheistic. And God's the Father, and you're saying Jesus is God. Now how in the world is That's two gods. How does that work? Without the understanding of the Trinity. The other criticism, particularly among the Jewish people, was this. They worshipped Yahweh. They held Yahweh's name in such regard they would not even say the name. It was held that high. And so when the Christians came and they said, we are following Jesus, they said, time out, we follow Yahweh. How could you even think about following anyone but Yahweh? But John's explaining to them, Jesus is not taking us from Yahweh. He's the only way to get to Yahweh. He was there with God. And He came as God to die for our sins, 
to bring us to God. The only way you get to the Father is through the Son. He was face to face with God. 1 Peter 3.18 says it this way. For Christ also suffered for sins, once, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to what? To bring you to God. Not to drive you away from God. Not to compete with God. He came to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. In the beginning was the Word. He's eternal. And the Word was with God. He has a relationship with the Father. And just in case we're missing anything, John says, and the Word was God. He is God in the flesh. Jesus is God in substance and essence. The second person of the Trinity, an assignment of God coming to this earth and dying for our sin. By the way, that last phrase, and the word was God, that's where we go way different from the Jehovah Witnesses. That's the words they take to say, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was what? A God. Jesus wasn't God. He was a God. He was a created being. Now, that's just not different. That's heresy. Jesus was God. Turn over to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. Here's a, here's a passage beginning in verse 27. We read this verse a lot about um, eternal security. But, but check out what Jesus is doing here. Jesus said, my, he's talking to the, to the religious leaders. He says, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give them eternal life. Now you've got to think the religious leaders' blood is boiling when Jesus starts saying, I can give them eternal life. And they shall never perish and no one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then Jesus drives it home. Look at verse 30. I and the Father are what? One. I and the Father are one. Do you think they understood what Jesus was saying? You bet they did. Look at verse 31. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. Which one of these are you going to stone me for? They say, we're not stoning you for your miracles, but for the blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. And that's exactly what Jesus claimed to be. Lori and I were on a, a plane at one time, and we were sitting uh, by a rabbi, and um, we had some, uh, some good conversation. And so I just said, what, what do you think about Jesus? And he said, uh, Jesus was fine. Paul's the guy who screwed it all up. He's the guy who messed it. <laughs> Paul's the one who took it away. Man, how can you read the New Testament without seeing that Jesus is the one who clearly said, I am 
God. I am fully God. Christmas is not about a baby being born. Christmas is about the incarnation. God, the eternal God, became flesh, walked on earth, went to the cross, died for our sin. Only God can do that, not a mere man. And so Jesus can say, I and the Father, we are one. Eternal relationship, deity. John says that's where you have to start with the person of Jesus Christ. Are you there? Is that where you are? As we prepare for communion, we're going to put a passage on the screen. It's from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And as the bread and the cup are being passed, please take the time to read through this passage. Take the time to read through it several times as we put it on the screen. This passage tells us that Jesus made peace for us with God through His blood. God came. Not He came as a baby, but He didn't come to stay in Bethlehem manger. Christmas is not about a baby in a manger. Christmas is about God becoming flesh. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ alone as the only way to have a relationship with the living God, you are more than welcome to take communion with us. Again, read that passage. Let it sink in as the writer, as Paul tells us who Jesus is. If you've not trusted in Christ, just let the cup and the bread pass. And we'd love to talk with you about what it means to trust in Christ. Or you can do it right where you're sitting where you're coming to that point where you say, Jesus is God, and I've got to deal with him. I can't control him as a little Christmas baby. He's got to control me, and I'm ready to give my life to him. So, Father, as we take communion, I pray that you would be with us. Don't let us take this lightly. As we hold the bread and as we hold the cup, remind us that you, the eternal God, became flesh, and you lived among us, and you went to the cross, Lord Jesus, and you died for our sins, and help us to hold the bread and the cup, reflecting on that great price that you would pay for us, and as we hold it, Lord, speak to our heart, and help us to be honest with you as to how we're going to respond with our lives to such a great gift. Do your work in our hearts now in Christ's name. Amen.